If a coyote crosses the border and no one is there to see it, does it make drop? You know, there are those in Washington who will tell you no. And as planes land all over the country loaded with illegals, who dares to call out the truth? I'll tell you who. Dan Newman on TNN, the Truth News Network. And with today's lesson, here's Dan. Uh, by the way, when you talk about a coyote making drop, you do understand what that is. I just thought I'd bring that to your attention. It's exactly what you thought it was. Hey, good morning and welcome to Friday in TNN Live. Last day of the week, the work week, and we are so thankful that you joined us here. Let's pause just a moment to remind each other of what today is. We are celebrating all of our veterans, everyone who has served in the U.S. military, any and all branches, and we're not stopping there. We're celebrating all of our emergency medical activists around the nation that are the ones that go out, no matter what the emergency is, they're going to reach out and help us in a time of an emergency. EMS folks and our people in badges Listen, these people who have done this and have left their positions, they, when they made those commitments and hit the streets of America, they put themselves in harm's way. And many, unfortunately, paid the ultimate price. But for those of you who are still alive today and you served, I want to thank you personally. And we at TNN Live, Truth News Network, want to thank you personally for your commitment to the nation. For all of those of you who have lost loved ones that were in service, we have a special day for you and for them, Memorial Day, that will happen next year. But even now, today, we want to think about those people and say thank you for giving your loved ones that gave us their lives. Well, hey, 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 here we are, election week. It's Friday after a Tuesday election, and we don't have a clue who's going to win the House and who's going to win the Senate. Listen, is it just me, or is this a brand new phenomenon? I don't remember having this happen. It happened back in, you know, the contested Bush 43 race, the hanging chads down in Florida. But that was the first time anything like that had happened in any election in the U.S. And we went through a couple of decades almost without having it happen again or anything similar. But now it's almost become normalized that we're not going to get election results for a few days or a week or even maybe two weeks. I tell you what this does, this being what we're talking about here and this happening, It scares so many Americans because you know why? Where is it happening? It's happening in Pennsylvania, in Arizona, in Nevada, in Georgia. What are those states? Those are not all of those states that had the difficulty in getting their votes counted back in 2020. There are still a couple of more that aren't mentioned in the list of those I just mentioned, but every one that I mentioned or in those swing states? Are we normalizing the fact that every federal election, 
We're going to have to wait because of the operating procedures within those states. Most everybody would say, oh, no, they're going to get it fixed. They didn't get it fixed in two years. What makes you think they're going to get it fixed in the next two years? And then we're looking at 2024. You throw in those same congressional races. Every member of the House of Representatives comes up for election every two years. But every four years, you throw in the election of the president and the vice president. So we could be looking in two years at another 2020 election debacle horror show. Oh my gosh. We're supposed to be the most advanced technologically nation on the planet. And our technological geniuses haven't figured it out yet. This is the definition of insanity. And Americans, because of all of this that happens, it seems like every election cycle now, Americans don't trust the election results that were given. We're not going to go into that conspiracy thing. We're not going to go into who really won the 2020 election. You know where we are here. We presented tons of evidence that disproved the fact that Joe Biden fair and, and legally I'm going to put it that way, won the 2020 election. I'm not going to go back there. We can't change it. And even if we could change it, we couldn't take him out of office. There's just no constitutional support for doing that. So let's quickly look at where we stand around the nation at these races and these vote counts that still are out. In Nevada, Republican Adam Laxalt's lead over incumbent Senator Catherine Cortez Masto has shrunk Overnight, now we're at a little bit under 9,000 votes. That's the lead that Adam and Laxalt have in that uh, U.S. Senate race. Officials are still counting. And their mail-in ballots, and these mail-in ballots that are being counted come from the state's largest counties. So the latest update puts Laxalt ahead just 8,988 votes over the incumbent, Cortez Masto. Now, his lead, almost 9,000 votes, is less than 1,000, excuse me, 1% of the total vote. Now, think about that. 99% of them are already in. Only 1% left to count, and that puts Laxalt 9,000 votes ahead. Officials explain mail-in ballots in Nevada must be postmarked by election day, but they can get there as late as this Saturday to be counted. So much for the election day on Tuesday, right? November the 8th. There wasn't an election day on November the 8th. That was the beginning of the election week, two weeks, and the election month. We never know. They're just going to keep going until they get it all figured out. Election officials have been flooded with thousands of these late mail-in votes since Tuesday as the margins between Cortez Masto and Laxalt remain tight. More than 12,000 ballots from Clark County, now that's Las Vegas, were counted last night and that helped Cortez Masto gain 3,285 votes on Laxalt. Las Vegas alone. And Democrats have a nearly 10-point advantage over Republicans in voter registration there. The Republican challenger's lead grew by about 1,000 votes as ballots were counted from surrounding rural counties. 
but that gain wasn't big enough to offset the mail-in votes for the Democrat senator. Washoe County, the state's second most popular county, they counted more than 18,000 ballots overnight and gave Cortez Masco a net gain of 4,817 votes. Democrats have strong support in Reno and Sparks, but the rest of the county leans Republican, making it competitive. So officials in Clark County, that's Nevada's most populous county, and I mispronounced the state. Natives out there want to pronounce Nevada, not Nevada. Excuse me. <laughs> um, officials said late on Tuesday, Tuesday is the deadline to verify the mail-in ballots, while November 17th is the latest date they will release the final results. Can you believe this? This is really happening. And we expected it, but we hoped it wouldn't be there. So we have a, we have a runoff coming up. December the 6th in Georgia, that's Raphael Warnock, who is the Warnock, who is the incumbent U.S. Senator of Georgia, and Herschel Walker has challenged him. It's a very, very tight race. So between now and December 6th, you wait, you watch, and see how much money Democrats and Republicans spend, the parties I'm talking about, in Georgia. Let me give you just a, a couple of things to consider in your concerns if you're a conservative about that race, thinking that, well, you know, the incumbent, they always have the edge. It's very, very seldom in a U.S. Senate race, in a runoff, very seldom that the incumbent wins. Why is that? Well, conventional wisdom says if they didn't do a good enough job in their first or second or however many races they ran and won previously and served, if they haven't done a good enough job to get reelected by the people in the general election, probably a big chunk of the people don't want them in office again. That would apply to Raphael Warnock. But here's the problem. Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker both being African-American What's going to happen now between today or yesterday and December the 6th among the African-American community? It's that you've got two of their own people. And I'm not being racist. I'm trying to be politically correct, though. Their own people. You have Raphael Warnock, who is a pastor of the Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta. That's his first call. He's been in the Senate two years and he's running for re-election. On the other side of the aisle, a Republican, a black man. Tim Scott from South Carolina is the only other African-American U.S. senator. Can you believe that? The people of America in this season, this session, two-year period coming up in the Biden administration, there, if... Herschel Walker is elected. There will only be two black men or people in the U.S. Senate. To me, that's a crime. So Warnock and Walker, they pivoted to a decisive extra round of their Senate race, and they did so yesterday with blistering attacks of each other. This is just the beginning. Party leaders and donors around the country, in the country, the country, you heard me right, not in Georgia, 
but around the country have geared up for a four-week campaign blitz that could determine the control of the U.S. Senate for the next couple of years. Votes are still being counted in contests in Arizona, Nevada. The single December 6th runoff, the only one we have in Georgia, could either decide majority control, as did the state's twin runoffs back in 2021, or it could further pad one party's advantage. But neither Republicans nor Democrats were waiting for the Western state's results to begin scrambling for big money. This will be the next two weeks, three weeks. Is that right? Let's see. Today is the 11th. We're talking about the 6th. So we've got three weeks left in November and a week, so a month. In the next month, I promise you, the campaign advertising spending will set an all-time record. Both parties, they see this as the bellwether for this election. Whichever party can do the best job with their candidate between now and December 6th will control the U.S. Senate. And it looks, it's very likely, it's almost certain now, we'll talk about this in a minute, but the House is going to remain in the control of the Republicans that took a significant lead as a vote count started on Tuesday. So, Democrats, they got to try to keep one house, and their best shot, obviously, is with this race, Herschel Walker and Raphael Warnock in Georgia. Now, the House of Representatives still has some undecided races. Few people, except maybe voters in western Colorado, would have thought about Representative Lauren Bobert a Republican to be in a really tight race in the rural mountainous district. The cable news figure known for her devotion to Second Amendment gun rights, and she's from Rifle, Colorado, no less. She was narrowly ahead of Democrat Adam Frisch in the 3rd District. That covers 26 counties. And if you know anything about Colorado, it's a very big area, those 26 counties in the West. This region of ski resorts... National Forest Ranch is one of the most beautiful part of our country. It has coal towns, too, and some desert mesas. It's long-bred, really low-key politicians. Bobert was elected in 2020. She broke that mold, and she's a fierce loyalist to Donald Trump, and she is still questioning the legitimacy of the 2020 election results. That makes her controversial in itself, those two things. She's an election denier, and she's a Trump supporter. Later in the show, we're going to get into the Trump support stuff and what may be, what may be in the making there. Just looking at the numbers this morning in the Arizona election results, two races we're watching is the governor's race between Hobbs and Lake, Lake the Republican, And boy, it is razor close. Hobbs, 50.7% of the vote that's been counted, 50.7. Lake, 49.3. Just a little bit over a 1% difference. On the Senate race, Kelly, the incumbent, the Democrat, 51.7%. Masters, 46.1%. And Victor from the Libertarian Party, 2.1%. And Victor pulled out of the race. Of course, this was after a lot of those votes had been cast. 
So it, it may sound like five points is a big deal, but there were last night 600,000 votes yet to be counted. And I'm talking about Maricopa County in Arizona. That's a big, that's Phoenix, basically, which is a big city. But think about both of these races. And they're counting, still counting, mail-in and early ballots. 600,000 left. How in the heck can anybody figure out who's going to win this race? Carrie Lake, who was that gubernatorial candidate there for the Republican Party. And she is a TV personality out there. She's gorgeous, and she speaks really, really well. She's not shy about how she feels about the race between her and Katie Hobbs. Now, let me tell you something about Katie Hobbs, the governor's race. This really bothers me and a whole lot of people that I'm friends with. Katie Hobbs is the Secretary of State of Arizona. Now, what does that mean? She is responsible for the operation of the Arizona election system. Right now, today, she's overseeing it. And she's running for the office of governor. And she's overseeing the election for the governorship of Arizona. You don't say a little a conflict of interest there? So anyway, let's flip over to Carrie Lake. Here's what she said last night. I'm 100% going to win. I have absolute 100% confidence that I will be the next governor of Arizona. Um, how do you really feel? <laughs> what do you really think, Carrie? I think the Republican Party, she said, should continue along with America First policies, like we are, with solutions, common sense solutions. She said that before listing prominent Republicans she felt might lead the party into the future. Those include South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem. I agree with you. She's a fellow beauty queen that has a real brain and is really smart and is doing a good job in what they're doing. Also, Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin. And, of course, Ron DeSantis, Governor of Florida. Carrie Lake made clear that Donald Trump was her first choice to run for president in 2024 and that he was still the leader of the Republican Party. I personally hope he runs again, she said. I think he will run. And if he does, I think he will win. We need a president to go in there and fix all the damage that Joe Biden has inflicted on the nation. And I'm rooting for President Trump. However, now remember, she's attractive, but she's really smart. And you can tell it if you just listen to her speak. So she said that about Trump, but she added a little bit. She praised Ron DeSantis, who she described as young and ripe for a future in the White House. So she was asked specifically about how Trump might have helped or hurt her race, as many have attributed to Republicans' underperformance on election night his presence as a driving force in the Republican Party. Lake was certain his campaigning in Arizona, in Arizona was good for her. I think it helps, she said. I think the slow rolling of election results and trickling out election results here in Maricopa County made it look like he didn't have a good night. He had a great night. He had a huge number of victories, and he will have a huge number of victories here in Arizona, she said, talking about herself and the Republican Senate candidate Masters, Blake Masters, we talked about, and even other races across the state. She expressed her frustration 
at the length of time it's taking to count ballots. Here we go again, just like in 2020, it's Maricopa County, the city of Phoenix. Now, if you're a smart politician, and there are a bunch of them out there, and you're an electioneer, or you understand the election process and how you can bend and mold and impact it, even in the counting processes, you're looking at this and it being so centralized in the biggest city in, in Arizona and one of the biggest cities in the Southwest, Phoenix, what you know is, now keep in mind, when there's an election, especially a federal election for members of the U.S. House of Representatives and many of the Senate, they're localized, even though every state's elections are to be localized, You've got to, on a federal level, you've got to go here, you've got to go there, you've got to figure out what you need to do there, over here, and multiply what I just said those two times about 50. So you're spread thin, and that means your concentration is spread thin, also is your wallet and what comes out of it. But in this race, oh my gosh, you've got one place to do it, Maricopa County. And don't think Democrats have uh, forgotten about that. I'm talking about the Democrat leadership in the party. And so they are there. They are there, physically there, trying to influence not the elections because every vote has supposedly been, been cast, to influence the counting process. And then you throw that little tidbit in about Carrie Lake's opponent, Hobbs, being the person over the counting process of these votes. Do you think there may be some shenanigans there, Dan? I don't have a clue, but I would bet maybe 60% of certainty that that will impact the race. And that's sad. Both races, her and master's race. I hate to even think about that. So what did ABC News say about our Senate races that are left too? U.S. Senate races, we can't get those counted. Do you know that right now we have 59 of the 100 Republican seats, uh, excuse me, 59 of the 100 U.S. Senator spots are Republican? That's not right either. 49, please forgive me. I've got all kinds of numbers and documents in front of me. 49 Republican senator seats are set. 48 Democrat seats are set. There are four spots left. It takes 51 to get the majority. Right now in the Senate, we're 50-50, but it's almost being like 51-50 because in the case of a tie, the president of the Senate cast a deciding vote. And the majority... The majority party names the president of the House, the U.S. Senate. So in a 50-50 tie, Kamala Harris, she's the president of the Senate. She would and has cast deciding votes. Even though it's 50-50, they've got a leg up. So what do we have to do? We have to get at least 51, preferably 52. There are four seats left open right now. 
counting still going on. As it stands, Republicans appear likely to take control of the House, but any majority would be razor thin. And they're tied with Democrats in the battle for the Senate at 48 seats apiece. White House correspondent Mary Alice Parks joins me live now for more on that. Mary Alice, of the four Senate races left, Alaska's Senate race is almost certainly going to the Republicans. Georgia's Senate race is headed for a runoff on December 6th. Where do those last two races, Nevada and Arizona, where do they stand? Yeah, votes are still coming in. They're still counting the votes. These are two states that have a long tradition of early voting and mail-in voting. And so with close races there, this is to be expected. It just takes a while to open all of those ballots, to count all of those ballots. We remember that from a few years ago. In Arizona, uh, right now, the Democrat does seem to have a more sizable lead, but there is still quite a lot of outstanding vote. I do think between the two, Democrats are feeling a little bit more confident about their chances in Arizona. Uh, Mark Kelly has been, you know, a popular senator. Like I said, he's has a little bit more of a lead, but there's still a lot of outstanding vote to be counted both here and in Nevada. Now, Democrats outperformed expectations. Republicans didn't get this red wave that they had predicted. What else surprised you about these elections? Yeah, Dan, there's been a lot of talk about the Trump factor. You know, I was in New Hampshire covering the elections, and uh, the candidates that Trump endorsed, uh, both of them lost, and lost uh, by a lot more than Republicans were even thinking. They thought they'd be close. They thought they would win. But I was struck that it wasn't really just Trump himself that came up on the campaign trail, but some really uh, pretty far-right and extreme culture conversations in the final days that I think was really off-putting to a lot of independent voters. A lot of those Trump-backed candidates talked about things like uh, trans rights. They talked about a radical gay agenda taking over schools. And I think that that language was just a little bit too far for some of those more um, independent voters that really were looking at issues like the economy and abortion uh, and energy prices first and foremost. So I think right now the Republicans are kind of doing a lot of, of work sort of reassessing not only which candidates they picked, but which issues they focused on. Diane. Now, Democrats still have a path to keeping control of the House. So what does that look like? Yeah, it's narrow. It would be tough for them. Uh, they would basically need everything out west to still swing their way. Um, but it is possible. There are a lot of uh, races that still have, haven't have been called yet. And actually, it's not just out west. I'm tracking a race out in Connecticut that still hasn't been called yet. There's a Democrat there who's trying to hang on to her seat. So basically, at this point, they would need um, everything to continue to break their way. Remember, they went in with only about a five-seat margin. So it was always going to be incredibly tough tough for Democrats to keep their majority. Right now, it is still looking more likely that Republicans have the majority, but it is definitely going to be a thin one at that if they do win, Diane. All right, Mary Ellis Parks, we appreciate it. Thank you. That was ABC News, and I wanted to make that point clear again. ABC News, what's the big deal, Dan? They're just reporting the news. No, you heard the editorial segment in there by the correspondent when she said she'd been in Connecticut and uh, in Maine and Connecticut. And she said it wasn't just about Donald Trump that those two candidates up there got beat and got beat pretty bad. She said it was some of those uh, radical others that came in talking about those radical things like, you know, fuel prices. Fuel prices. And that there's a lot of stuff going on in our schools where education elements have come in and they were talking about transgender rights and stuff like that where most people are thinking about energy, gas prices, the economy. 
Well, dadgummit, if that's what most people are thinking about, they all should vote Republican because the Democrat in the White House is the one whose policies are so radical. Radical. Do you know that yesterday, let me tell you about radical Democrats. Yesterday in California, a law went into effect that legalized abortion at nine months. Nine months. Regardless of if the child has been born or has already been born and a medical expert determines it's still not considered to be alive. Is that not the most egregious thing that you have ever heard of? Basically, what this law does, it legalizes infanticide, which is killing children. I don't think she was thinking about that radical idea when she was talking about the Republicans that were, you know, being radical in their thinking up in the Northeast. That was ABC News. And it's important for us to clarify who's telling us the story. Now, she mentioned that they were tied 48-48, Democrats and Republicans, in the uh, in the Senate. It's not. It's 49-48. And uh, that means we have three races left. We did have four, but one of those has been technically called, not officially, but just technically. This morning in the House, Republicans have 211 that have been confirmed, and it takes 218 to have control. Democrats this morning had 192, so they got a, a far row to go, and as you heard her say, they got they got to run the table to be able to uh, compete with Republicans. It looks like The Republicans have the House wrapped up, and that's a big deal because of a couple of reasons. House has hands-on oversight of people in the government. Lots of different ways that they can execute that oversight, including uh, litigation, civil litigation. Also, legal actions that the House can take, the House Oversight Committee. That's number one. Number two is constitutionally, look what just happened to Joe Biden on his unilateral student loan forgiveness policy. In just a moment, I'm going to read you that judge's decision down in Texas. And that judge made it very clear that Donald, excuse me, that Joe Biden had no constitutional authority to do what he did. Let me just tell you about it right now. It had been put on hold already based on a previous lawsuit, but this yesterday, this was epic because this judge laid out exactly why the Biden student loan forgiveness is unconstitutional. Let me quote the judge. Listen to this. Listen closely. Quote, whether the program constitutes good public policy is not the role of the federal court to determine. Still, no one can plausibly deny that it is either one of the largest delegations of legislative power to the executive branch or one of the largest exercises of legislative power without congressional authority in the history of the United States. 
Judge Pittman continued. I'm still quoting the judge. In this country, we are not ruled by an all-powerful executive with a pen and a phone. Instead, we are ruled by a constitution that provides for three distinct and independent branches of government. The court is not blind to the current political division in our country, but it is fundamental to the survival of our republic that the separation of powers as outlined in our constitution be preserved. And having interpreted the HEROES Act, the court holds that it does not provide, quote, clear congressional authorization for the program proposed by the secretary. I, I haven't heard a finding of a judge anywhere close to that negative, especially speaking and referencing the decision made by the president of the United States. Now, before we go to our first break, let me just give you something that ties in right beside this. Joe Biden, every time he gets up in front of a a crowd, he talks about the evil MAGA Republicans, mega MAGA now, and what they're going to do. And he has said this over and over and over again. And other people, other leaders, political leaders on the left have picked it up. It's their talking mantra. It was before the election, and now they're even ramping it up. Republicans are a danger to our democracy. Republicans are going to destroy, if they take over, they're going to destroy our democracy. Democracy is under siege by the Republicans, those mega-maga Republicans. I'm going to say this again. This judge just illustrated the difference between our government and those who are supposed to be governing based upon their oath of office to the nation. They're supposed to be governing as the direct representatives of the people. They tell us that's what they're doing. Joe Biden tells us that's what he's doing. But this, what this judge said when he stopped this unconstitutional uh, action taken by this president. What he said was, we are not ruled by an all-powerful executive with a pen and a phone. Who's he talking about? Joe Biden, who is supposed to be doing only the work of the U.S. Constitution. He knew when he did this, it was unconstitutional. So you know why he did it? He knew there was going to not be any student loan forgiveness. Every Democrat in power knew that it was not going to stand. Why? It's unconstitutional. Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, her said a year ago. A year ago, she said, and this is almost a quote, no president, the president has no constitutional authority to forgive student debt. It must come through the U.S. Congress. So what are you driving at, Dan? Two things. We do not have a democracy. Never has been. There's not a pure democracy in any government on the planet. It's impossible to make that function for one reason. For any country to be a pure democracy in its government, every time there's an issue that needs to be voted on, every citizen must cast a vote. 
That's what a democracy is. That really is a utopia. And I'm sorry, there's no way we could do that. We'd be going to the polls every other day. You think we got a mess in the vote counting in Maricopa County night uh, now? Just imagine what it would look like if we were a pure democracy. Our forefathers, first of all, we are a republic. That's where it starts, not a democracy. A republic is a nation that's governed by its people and not one person. Okay? Secondly, because our forefathers knew there was no way we were going to be able to weigh in on every issue. When we crafted our federal government and put it in place, they decided we're going to make it a representative democracy, a representative republic. So we legally are a representative republic. That means the people elect people to represent us in Washington, D.C. And both branches of the government that were established, the House and the Senate, they are elected by the people and they are to govern by what the people they represent specifically in the states in which they come from. We live in a representative democracy. This judge, when he said this, quote, in this country, we are not ruled by an all-powerful executive with a pen and a phone. Instead, we are ruled by a constitution that provides for three distinct and independent branches of government. And he continued, the court is not blind to the current political division in our country but it is fundamental to the survival of our republic that the separation of powers as outlined in the Constitution be preserved. What's he saying there? Joe Biden, he's an authoritarian wannabe and thinks that he can rule the nation with a phone and a pen. He can try, according to this judge, but it's not constitutional. And it's not going to stand as it should not not stand. It's a lot to take in, but when you need a refresher, it's all here. 24-7, 365. Every podcast, every blog. TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. Dinner, dinner, dinner. Every day you have to think of what's for dinner. Well, now Subway has a solution that is sure to please every person you have to feed for that last meal of the day. It's called Dinner Tonight. Every day after 4 p.m., Subway is offering a Dinner Tonight special, which includes two regular 6-inch subs, two bags of chips, and two 21-ounce fountain drinks, all for just $11.99. This offer is available all day long on Sundays. Subway of Kodiak. Eat fresh. Have you ever wanted to learn a new language like French, Spanish, or Russian, but thought it would be too difficult and time-consuming? Then go to Babbel.com and try it for free. Babbel works because it's built around real life. It teaches you everyday practical conversations that you will actually use. In 15 minutes a day, you'll be on your way to speaking a new language in just a few weeks. Babbel uses a modern conversation-based technique that makes language engaging, fun, and memorable. It starts by teaching you words and phrases. Then, sentences gradually get more complex. Soon, you're practicing short conversations about real-life topics. Babbel is created by language experts who use the space repetition method to help you learn quickly and remember. 
what you learned. With Babbel, you can speak a new language. Babbel, language for life. Celebrating 10 million subscriptions sold. Now try Babbel for free at Babbel.com. Just go to Babbel.com and start learning a new language today. That's Babbel.com. B-A-B-B-E-L.com. This is the truth your mama warned you about. TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. And Dan Newman. Now let me give you another one of those truths that your mama, she may not have mentioned it specifically, but it was included with what she said. We may have experienced a red wave after all. Now wait a minute, Dan. We're not just blowing everybody away. The conservatives, the Republicans aren't. So how could it be a red wave? Well, it just didn't translate into the electrical, the electoral, (laughs) electrical. Uh, We're having a little electrical problem here. So I guess that's why the slip of the tongue. It, It didn't turn out the way that it has historically accompanied major political shifts. After the initial wave of instant narratives by the pundits on election night, close observers are just now beginning to dig. What are they digging for? The reasons underlying the model-shattering disconnect. You may not realize this, but Republicans are currently winning the national popular vote for the House in Tuesday's midterms, and not just winning, winning by a big margin. That's according to the Cook Political Report. Specifically, Republican candidates have so far gotten 50,672,592 votes as of 11 o'clock last night. That's 52.3% of the total ballots cast. Democrat candidates, by comparison, have so far received 44,802,597 votes. That's 46.2% of the total. Now, wait a minute. According to those numbers, Republicans are 6 million votes ahead. That's right. But remember, this nation is not ruled by a pure political victory by majority number of votes. This support for the Republican Party appears to fit with what pre-election polling had suggested Several Republican candidates nationwide, including those running for the Senate and the governor's mansions, had been rising in the polls in the last couple of months, showing positive momentum for Republicans. The polling also found the economy, particularly inflation, and crime were the top two issues for voters, and that voters trusted the GOP more than the Democrats to handle each one of those. Biden's approval rating was also on average in the low 40s. Other polling showed him about 70 to 80% of Americans thought the country was on the wrong track. Both are strong indicators historically that the party in control of the White House was going to lose a big number of seats in the midterms. But Republican hopes for a landslide, red wave victory faded Tuesday night as Democrats did better in House races than was expected, and they won key Senate and gubernatorial seats that were considered to be vulnerable, but the Republicans supposedly had an edge. So as of last night at 11 o'clock our time, Central Time, neither party 
has secured a majority in the House or the Senate. More ballots to be tallied, more states to be decided. Republicans are leading and still likely to win control of the House, but by a much smaller margin than was expected. The Senate? (laughs) I got to be honest with you. The Senate, it just drives me crazy. It's anyone's guess is what that's going to happen. It's going to be razor thin if either party gets the majority. It's unclear right now what explains that glaring incongruity between the Republicans' underwhelming performance in terms of winning seats on one hand and its big lead in the popular vote on the other. The craziest thing, Republicans are winning the House popular vote by 6.4%, but they're just scraping by in the race for control. Republicans still are projected to win the popular vote. This is really interesting, but it's nerve-wracking, to say the least. Republicans were slightly more popular among independent voters, we are being told, but on Election Day, a majority of independent voters voted for Democrats. Republican candidates had a four-point lead among independent voters due to independents' widespread dissatisfaction with the state of the economy and Joe Biden's policies. After ballots were cast, Democrat candidates won independent voters by three percentage points nationally, and that caused battleground races up in Pennsylvania, Arizona, and Georgia to swing in the Democrats' favor. Independents also shifted toward Democrats by bigger margins in many states with close Senate contests. That includes 19 points in Pennsylvania, 28 in Georgia, more than 30 in Arizona, even though the poll found that independent voters were unhappy with inflation, high gas prices, and Biden's policies, and Biden himself, 40% of independents said they were undecided on which party they would vote for. That was just two weeks ago. They said that. Democrat Pennsylvania Senate candidate John Fetterman beat Mehmet Oz by four percentage points On Tuesday, that's according to the New York Times, Democrat Arizona Senator Mark Kelly, he's got a five percentage point lead over Republican opponent Blake Masters. That's of last night. Roughly 49%. Are you following? These numbers are all over the place. How do they expect us to follow all of this and not just follow it, to be confident that what they're telling us is the truth? I'm not the only American that doesn't always just accept everything the government tells us. (laughs) There are tens of millions of us. (laughs) Tens of millions. We, We have a political process. And when it works the way it's supposed to work, it works. But what happens is men, they get involved in the process and they get tempted to fiddle here and fiddle there. And we saw it happen in 2020. Just forget about the final results. Let me just tell you this. If you were comfortable with your confidence that the voting in the 2020 election was exactly what they told us it was at the end of the day, if you're comfortable with that, 
you don't need to be listening to us because we're, with your definition of conspiracy, we're conspiracy theorists. We being like-minded people that look differently at the outcome of that race, the big overall race of the Democrats won in 2020. The Democrats won the vote counting process, and we may never get to the bottom of it. I will tell you this, if it continues to look like, and it does end up with the House of Representatives being controlled by Republicans, there will be significant deep looks at the potential legal wrongdoing in the 2020 election and finding out if there was and who the perpetrators are and bringing them to justice. There are specific plans already in place to do that. While massive legislative plans and even bills are already written that they're going to immediately begin to roll out in January when they take control, actual control of the House of Representatives. We've got to find a way to get the stinking election process completely figured in every state. It is constitutionally a state-by-state responsibility to do that. But we, the people, have got to put the pressure on our lawmakers to do it and to stop with this fiddling with the process. That's the part that blows the minds of every American. We just want free and fair elections. And it's not just for U.S. members of Congress. It's not just for people that are running for the presidency. It's not just for governor's races. It's for every single race in which people are going to be elected and are going to be managing the business of the American people from top to bottom. And doing so, in doing that, They are representing the desires of the people in their congressional districts, in their states, and in their federal government. We can't let that slip away. If we do, we're going to be a nation where Joe Biden can just stand up there with his pen and his phone and rule unilaterally. And that's what Democrats want to happen while they're telling us that Republicans, evil, mega-maga Republicans, are pushing to take away the representation model of the people when Joe Biden's already doing it and has been doing it for almost a year and a half now. In fact, it's almost two years. Let me give you an illustration, a specific illustration about the deadliness of the divisiveness and what it is to politicize everything, including our elections. Far-left district attorney candidates who appeared on the ballots on Tuesday and received backing from who? George Soros. Every one of those district attorney candidates that he backed with big bucks again have not just won their elections, they swept their elections. After doing a 50-state search of campaign finance databases, and they identified, Fox News Digital did, at least four prosecutor candidates who got financial backing from Soros and won their November elections. That includes 
two newcomers and two candidates he's previously backed. His district attorney operation, it involves his longtime treasurer, Whitney Timas, establishing a pop-up political action committee and doing it in states where he targets the prosecutor races. Once they're set up, the financier, Whitney Timas, injects money into the political action committee, which tend to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars backing Soros' preferred candidates. These PACs typically dissolve after the elections. Now, that may sound like a conspiracy theory to you, but I, I can witness it. It happened right here in 2020 in Shreveport, Louisiana, in the district attorney's race. All of a sudden, now we're in a, I, I, this is not a big section, a very populated area. We have a good population in northwest Louisiana, but not large. We're not talking about a million people. We're talking about a few hundred thousand. Out of the clear blue, an African-American man who's a judge, he's been in this market, he's a really good guy, and he's running for district attorney. Out of the clear blue, he gets a quarter of a million dollar contribution from George Soros. And it came through, Not George Soros doesn't write these checks. He has all of these layers of entities, and he donates money to these entities who then go around and spend the money supporting candidates that he wants to end up in office. Now, why is Soros doing this around the nation? He's attacking law enforcement, not because he doesn't believe in law enforcement, but he knows, he knows by watching it happen, he's a European guy. He has U.S. dual citizenship. He grew up in Europe. He watched all of the overthrows happen, governments being toppled, whether it was to become a, Democrat, a democratic nation or to throw democracy out and become an authoritarian nation. He's watched it happen. The single most powerful entity in altering, changing the political infrastructure in a nation is law enforcement. And so what he's done is he has reached out in the U.S. and found candidates running in these local prosecutor district attorney races that are anti-police and he gives them donations to spend to get them elected why to do the same thing we're watching happen in new york city we've been watching happening in los angeles los angeles county it happened in san francisco these da's come in and they go soft on crime and we get a horror story or two every day here at tnn live of where Somebody commits murder, rape, and they just get a slap on the wrist and they're released with no bail. Even murderers. And Soros, he did it in the election. He'll continue to do it as long as he is allowed to do it. And it would take changing laws for him not to be able to do it. So what are we going to do about our Senate elections that are left. It looks like Axalt is going to win. That would put the the Republicans at 50. I think what we've got to swallow hard and just let happen, it's going to happen anyway. 
but figure it is going to happen and just tough it up and move forward is there's going to be a tie in the Senate, just like it is right now. And that means for two years, legislation that comes over there, 50-50, 50 Republicans, 50 Democrats, and they all 50 vote one side yes, the other side no, Kamala Harris, the vice president, will cast ties. Here's what you need to understand because it looks like the Republicans are in a control, not with a significant margin, but a wider margin than Nancy Pelosi had the last two years. The Republicans are going to be able to stop a lot of this egregious um, political stuff that has brought these measures, these bills that are tried to get in that they just rubber stamped them all over the last couple of years with control of the House and the Senate with the vice president deciding the casting vote on the Senate side. It's not going to be easy for a couple of reasons. And we're going to get into those reasons in just a minute. Take a break. It's Friday. Have you got good, fun things planned for the weekend? Mine started last night. Win and watch grandbabies play soccer. Soccer season's already kicked off in Louisiana. Just go figure. We've got sports year-round, and we have six grandchildren that live right around us in the same city, and they're different ages. So we've got boys and girls and different sports, and sometimes Marianne and I, we have to split up who's going, who's going to this game, who's going to that game when they're playing together. Mine for the weekend started last night, a big high school, the high school they go to, Evangel Christian Academy in Shreveport. The uh, football team in the playoffs hosting a first-round South Louisiana opponent tonight, and it's starting to rain now, and it's going to rain all night. But guess what? It's worth it. Do something fun this weekend. Do it with your spouses, your babies, Grandbabies, if you're our age or older, interact with people that you want to be with. That's a key to being happy, a big key to being happy, and you can do that. You should do it, and you should do it because you want to do it, and it'll be good to you, get good for you. Interact with other people and be thankful for where you are. Forget about if you're sick, you have problems, you don't have a bright future as it looks right now. Live for the moment today and find a way to be happy. Welcome to McDonald's. Can I take your order? Yeah, I'll have a pre-meeting pump-up, a Monday fixer, and a screaming boss recovery. So that's one peppermint mocha, one McCafe frappe, and one fruit smoothie? Yep. Name your drink. McDonald's has it. We're your destination for those special flavors that help you get through your day. Get any small McCafe smoothie, frappe, shake, or espresso drink for only $2. Even the delicious new peppermint mocha. For a limited time, price and participation may vary. Do you mind? I was in a good place. Then the world changed. Daily uncertainties became huge struggles. I've missed so much, especially the grandkids. A lot happened to all of us. It's okay to not feel fine. Small things each day go a long way. Make time for you. Take Take care. care. Me. Create a healthier relationship with your mind. Search Dear Mind for more. Authorised by the Queensland Government, Brisbane. 
When your cable company keeps you on hold, you get angry. When you get angry, you go blow off steam. When you go blow off steam, accidents happen. When accidents happen, you get an eye patch. When you get an eye patch, people think you're tough. When people think you're tough, people want to see how tough. And when people want to see how tough, you wake up in a roadside ditch. Don't wake up in a roadside ditch. Get rid of cable and upgrade to DirecTV. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Papa John is not interested in quality. He's obsessed with it. Because Papa John's a pizza maker. It's what he does. That's why you've got Papa's Quality Guarantee, signed by the man himself. Love your pizza, or we'll deliver another absolutely free. It's my guarantee. Better ingredients, better pizza, Papa John's. And right now, save 25% when you spend 25 pounds or more online. going on that song was back in the 70s the love train i gotta be honest with you I, I i wish in many ways we could go back then and i'm not an idiot i i understand i lived through it that we didn't have total unity in the u.s back in the 70s but we were still living in what my parents told me it was like back in world war ii similarly in other words, the American people were still together in spite of differences. We've lost that. The OJs aren't around anymore to give us another version of a get all aboard the love train. I don't think, I don't see it if it's there or a love train circling the nation right now. And that's sad. I, I'm an optimist. I'm always looking for the good things and bad things that I see that impact me. Sometimes I find them, sometimes I don't, and I try my best when I don't to be able to live through whatever it is. But there is more division now than I can ever remember in the nation. And it still exists, even in the races. I mean, the 2022 election is supposed to be over, right? But it's not. We all know that. And over in Georgia, we hadn't talked much about it, but there's a big December 6th runoff race between the incumbent Raphael Warnock, the African-American pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, that is his job. And then he's running against Herschel Walker, an NFL star, an All-American Heisman Trophy winner. And uh, Warnock has a lot of skeletons in his closet, as does Herschel Walker. So... It was decided they're going to be in the runoff. Raphael Walker just went nuts yesterday. He kicked off his second, I guess, Senate run by tearing into Herschel Walker. He told the crowd in Atlanta that Herschel has a, quote, disturbing history pattern of violence against women and against his own family. Now, what he was talking about, Warnock was talking about a claim from Walker's ex-girlfriend that he allegedly threatened her life in 2012, which the Republicans' campaign has called baseless, and Warnock hasn't presented any evidence to prove that Herschel Walker actually did anything. 
We've seen that Herschel Walker, he said, has a disturbing history pattern of violence against women, against his own family, and he takes and he refuses to take responsibility for that, Warnock said yesterday. He refuses even to answer question. So the question right now is this. Is that who we want representing Georgia? Neither candidate got 50%. There was another person running which split the vote. And if you are in Georgia in a primary election, uh, in a general election, if there are more candidates running than two, whoever wins has got to get more than 50% or there will be a runoff. That's what happened there. And it's going to happen December 6th. Oh, I didn't mention any of garbage in Raphael Warnock's past. Well, not his past. Right now, today, he's the boss at Ebenezer Baptist Church. Anybody that knows that church and knows the political religious structure of it knows Raphael Warnock is involved in every major decision. So they bought some rental properties around the church area, and it's in a primary principal uh, minority area of Atlantic they, uh, Atlanta they are, and their apartment complexes, big ones. Warnock doesn't want to, he won't even talk about the fact that on his watch, People have died from drug overdoses in his apartments there. There's been murders there. There have been rapes there. And he, on his watch, his church is evicting people that haven't paid rent. Some of the rent amounts that people have been evicted for were less than $100. Think about that. He's a pastor, (laughs) Pastors don't do that. Pastors are supposed to serve especially the lesser, the least of the the citizenry in the areas that they serve. Raphael Warnock is a business guy, as well as a pastor and as well as a U.S. senator. I wonder how he does what he's supposed to do for every one of those employers he works for. That's that's a tough one for anybody. So Herschel Walker's got stuff in his closet. Raphael Warnock has stuff in his closet. And it's just going to be interesting to see how the people of Georgia respond to that because it really doesn't give a, a rip what you and I think about it. We can't vote. Georgians have got to vote. Now we had Billy Andrews, who's a, a really good guy, plugged in. He's got a lot of broadcasting experience. We had him on our show to talk about the election on Monday. We're going to try to get Billy to come back and talk to us about this pending runoff between Herschel and Raphael and what his uh, predictions might be based upon what he's hearing, uh, he's hearing happen over there. One more election story. This morning, Maricopa County, Arizona election people They said that hand count audit of those mail-in ballots, they got rid of 200,000 of them. In other words, they got them counted. So they got it down to 400,000 today. This is nuts. And they, they have in their election laws that they will still receive mail-in ballots through this Saturday. So honestly, I doubt very seriously if we're going to get any final results during the weekend. I think it'll be at the earliest on Monday. 
And so everything keeps hanging out there and hanging out there. You got to keep in the back of your mind, Republicans, that former President Donald Trump announced he's going to make a big announcement on Tuesday. He didn't say what it's about, but everybody believes, and I understand it. I'm on the maybe so, maybe not so stop on that matter, but everybody thinks he's going to announce he's going to run for president in 2024, formally announce that. We got to see, but whatever he says, it will definitely impact the selection. Why is that? Because it's going to take the attention of a lot of Americans off this race between Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker. We got three weeks to go after this announcement is allegedly going to be made on Tuesday. So we're watching it closely. And talking about Donald Trump, he's been getting the blame for Republicans' election losses. In an interview on Election Day, Trump quipped something to the effect that if he endorsed candidates that won on Tuesday, he should get all the credit, and if they lost, he should get none of the blame. He was making a joke. And, of course, the left and many Republicans, rhino Republicans, Republicans in name only, they jumped on that to bash Trump. This is a predictable attempt to make Trump the scapegoat for any closer-than-expected midterm election results. And to be quite honest with you, doing so is highly misleading and an oversimplification in the extreme. The results of the elections on Tuesday do not tell an easy story for any of those that are liking and looking for ways to pin the blame for any losses on Trump. Many Trump candidates, like J.D. Vance, Ted Budd, almost certainly Kerry Lake and Adam Laxalt, potentially Blake Masters, and possibly after the runoff, Herschel Walker, Many of those will have won their races in highly competitive swing states in spite of most being outspent by tens of millions of dollars. Where Republican candidates failed, it was not just those who were picked by Donald Trump. Numerous strong House candidates handpicked by Kevin uh, McCarthy lost races. The consultant class had expected to win, including Yesley Vega running against vulnerable Democrat Representative Abigail Spanberger up in Virginia, Rhode Island Republican Alan Fung, Myra Flores and Casey Garcia on the Texas border, and many others. McCarthy, who's expected to be the Speaker of the House in a Republican-controlled U.S. House of Representatives going forward, he endorsed all of those and they lost. Nobody screaming and hollering about Kevin McCarthy failing those candidates. So if Washington, D.C. consultants and establishment leaders are really looking for somebody to blame for the lack of a red tsunami on Tuesday, there are far more suitable candidates than Trump. First among them, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, whose allies appear to be behind much of the Blame Trump campaign. Why is that? They spent... Millions of dollars, they picked specific Republican candidates that are running races, 
And many of these, they came off of with their money during the campaign, especially toward the end, and switched their spending to other candidates. Whatever virtues McConnell may have as a legislative tactician and fundraiser, which he is, and they are evidently considerable, the fact is he failed to use his power not just Tuesday, but over the past two years. He could have used that money to shape the political terrain in ways that would support an overwhelming Republican victory. He didn't do it. Even worse, he actively undermined Republican candidates at critical points during this campaign cycle. At no point in the past two years have Americans seen McConnell and other top Republican leaders in Washington pick real and effective fights with the Biden administration. Did you notice that? At no point have they managed to focus the nation on real controversies that would be politically advantageous to the Republican Party. Trump's gone. Trump's gone. All these political powerhouse people that we're talking about, they're glad he's gone. But in his absence, the Republican Party establishment has reverted to Mitch McConnell's preferred style of opposition. Passive. Just let everybody do their own thing. That's the reason Donald Trump won in 2016. He refused to do that. He called everybody out for their wrongdoing, regardless of if they were Democrats or Republicans. And that PO'd, and you know what the P and PO stands for, that PO'd a lot of establishment Republicans, rhino Republicans. Now, what's a rhino Republican? Who might be that? Look at Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney is a Republican in, in Utah. Let me tell you what a rhino is. Mike Lee, a senator, probably the most uh, plugged-in attorney in the United States Congress regarding the Constitution and the rule of law. That's Mike Lee. Mitch, he's sitting there, Mitch McConnell, He's not supporting Mike Lee. He's not sending money or spending money for Mike Lee. Mitt Romney's sitting there. He would not even endorse Mike Lee in his own party, in his own state for Senate. This kind of stuff, it plagues the Republican Party. Time and time again, Mitch McConnell has proved unserious about opposing the overreaches of the radical left. If establishment Republicans believe that the border crisis was the existential national security disaster they claim it is in their speeches, nothing about McConnell's actions in the Senate would even show they actually believe it. There were no threats of a government shutdown if the border was not restored. There were no real conflicts over spending bills. Just think back over the last two years. There was no significant effort to block key nominees or exact a price for the Biden administration's extremism. And even worst of all, there was virtually no attempt whatsoever to use McConnell's big power in the 50-50 Senate 
to set up any strategic fights to force Joe Biden to finish the wall, as an example, or to stop the Department of Homeland Security from trying to censor free speech. Instead, in a Senate that routinely needed Republican votes to pass Democrat Party priorities, McConnell ensured that Democrats routinely got them with as little fanfare as possible. Now think about this, and you're saying, are you going after Mitch McConnell? Yes, I am. Here's why. Since January of 2021, McConnell's Senate minority has green-lighted much of the left's most unpopular legislative and foreign policy initiatives. From the $550 billion infrastructure package to emptying out America's arsenals, sending them to Ukraine, even if he intended to pass the tens of billions for Ukraine, an effective Republican opposition leader would have insisted on including provision to secure our own border in the process. Mitch didn't even mention it. The American people would have rallied to the Republican side. That would be the kind of leadership that could have forced the media to give some coverage, any coverage at all, to congressional Republicans doing something useful. Instead, Mitch's theory appears to have been that he could win the Senate majority just by default. He knew all of the American people, the ones that aren't bureaucrats or elected officials in Washington, he knew that everybody else can't stand what the Biden administration, well, let me take that back. Not the Biden administration, but Joe Biden unilaterally himself has done. We, the people, conservatives, we're looking to the Senate. We're looking to Mitch McConnell for two years now. And he didn't do anything to stand up against this stuff. When asked what Republicans would do if given the Senate majority, he replied that he would tell us after they had won. Think about that. No plans. Well, if we win, I'll just sit down and start working on some stuff we're going to do instead of doing what I know factually the House of Representative leadership and the Republican Party have put together on January, whatever the day is, if they take over the House of Representatives, they've got a handful of bills that are already written, ready to go to the floor or to committee, whichever they have to do to be debated on and passed, that is going to bring all of this Biden insanity, bring it under control. Mitch has done none of that. Looking back, there appears to be a bunch of big mistakes. Republican leaders in Congress succeeded only in making themselves invisible and allowing Democrats to drive the subject of national conversation to other issues like abortion. And then there's a, that one we talked about earlier, democracy. Oh, and January 6th. To make it worse, McConnell actively actually attempted to sabotage pro-Trump Republicans on the general election ballot for Tuesday's election, presumably because he thought they would not back him as a majority leader and concluded he'd rather be a leader of a Republican minority than part of a Republican majority with someone else at the helm. In other words, he wants to keep his job, but he doesn't want to do the work when he gets it. 
just like he didn't do it in the last two years. At a very important moment of the campaign, just as voters were tuning in late in the summer, many were looking at the Republican nominees for the very first time. McConnell, who through the years has forced upon us any number of losing clunker candidates, he decided the time was right to publicly attack the Republican Party's nominees. He baselessly, no evidence for it, called into question the competence and credibility of candidates like Blake Masters, J.D. Vance, Herschel Walker, and Dr. Oz. And in doing that, he advanced the left narrative that the Republicans' candidates were weird, they were fringe, they were extreme, and doing massive damage to their prospects just as countless voters were forming their first impressions. In fact, every one of those candidates were remarkably impressive and accomplished people in their own ways. The candidate quality deficit is a convenient, self-serving, and blame-deflecting myth. But voters got the message. Even Mitch McConnell didn't think they deserved to win. Forget about the people's thoughts. Forget about the people's choices. Mitch McConnell, the minority leader of the Senate, he pushed the people's thoughts to the side, and he's protecting his own butt. For all the venom that has been hurled at Donald Trump by establishing Republicans, including Mitch McConnell, since Tuesday night, perhaps the most selfish and shocking act of the cycles was when In the closing weeks of the campaign, McConnell poured $9 million into the state of Alaska, saturating the state's airwaves, not in an effort to ensure the Republican Party's candidate won, but that she lost. You're kidding, Dan. No, I'm serious. Listen, McConnell spent those precious resources to bolster rhino Lisa Murkowski against Trump-backed Kelly Shabaka. Murkowski, who is a McConnell ally, has repeatedly insisted on running in the general election after being roundly rejected by Republican primary voters. She was personally responsible for the imposition of the ranked choice voting system that foiled Republican voters' desires this year in the state's House race as well. So McConnell spent big, big on Murkowski's behalf, despite the fact she recently voted to confirm Biden's radical Supreme Court Justice Ketanji Brown-Jackson after she had voted against Brett Kavanaugh. If any Republican candidate deserved to lose, it was her. She's a rhino, the truest sense of the word, a Republican in name only. How could any Republican, any conservative vote to confirm Katanji Brown-Jackson for the U.S. Supreme Court. What might those $9 million McConnell spent against Kelly Shabaka have done instead for Blake Masters, Herschel Walker, or Mehmet Oz, all of whom were drastically outspent by their Democrat opponents? It's also not clear that the candidates McConnell preferred would have fared better this week. Many people have attacked Trump for endorsing Oz over establishment favor 
David McCormick, ignoring that McCormick was a hedge fund CEO who would have been savaged in the general election campaign and played right in the Democrat Fetterman's fake working class image. In spite of Oz's imperfections, he probably would have been the best of the available options, and those blaming Trump for Oz's loss are neither honest nor sincere. Likewise, Trump's endorsement of Pennsylvania gubernatorial candidate Doug Mastriano, a subject of great derision on Tuesday night, was not made until Mastriano had the nomination already all but secured. Trump didn't really push him on Pennsylvania primary voters. If anything, the opposite occurred. The same was true in New Hampshire. Trump did not endorse Don Bolduc until after he had already won his primary. Would McConnell's establishment stalking horse in New Hampshire have won where Bolduc fell short? There's little reason to think so. Bolduc won the primary because he was the best of the candidates who actually ran. Meanwhile, there's no doubt the Senate candidates who did win Tuesday embraced a Trumpian brand of politics and Trump's America First platform in ways that look likely to serve the party well going forward. Whether every bit turns out to pay off or not, we don't know now. We can think, but we can't predict. We can't predict effectively. Trump should be thanked for making a serious attempt to infuse the party with new life, new energy, and appeal in the form of a genuine talents like J.D. Vance and Blake Masters, and especially Carrie Lake, as well as outside figures like Herschel Walker. Kevin McCarthy, to his credit, he did make serious efforts in recruiting for the House and put forth many fine candidates. The fact that not all of his candidates won their races is not proof that the GOP would have been better off reverting to the country club republicanism of Mitch McConnell. In the Senate races, the Democrat money advantage almost certainly made an enormous difference. Governors Ron DeSantis in Florida, Brian Kemp in Georgia, Mike DeWine in Ohio, they had huge victories Tuesday. Not to detract in any way from their impressive wins, but one likely reason is that being an incumbent governor of a major state where your party also controls the legislature, that gives you certain advantages, not the least of which is money. This is really true in states with more permissive campaign finance laws than those that apply to federal candidates. As a result of those things, nobody talks about this or thinks about it. Neither DeSantis nor Kemp nor DeWine was assaulted with anything like the $65 million spent differential unleashed upon Blake Masters in Arizona. $65 million in a senatorial race by the Democrats against Blake Masters. Think about that. DeSantis raised $200 million for his re-election. Obviously far more than was needed given his margin of victory. Yet, while Trump has been subject to constant criticism for amassing his own $100 million war chest, even after he relentlessly raised money for candidates across the country, no one seems to blame Ron DeSantis for not diverting millions of his own campaign dollars to help elect 
a Republican Senate, 200 million folks for a governor's race in Florida. That's what he had. So what does all this mean? Ultimately, the naysayers trashing Trump for supposedly hindering Republicans in the midterms are precisely the same voices who have desperately wanted to get rid of him for years. And they predictably seized on an unmet expectation Tuesday to go after him again. And they'll go after him again and again and again. Why is that? Trump is the most aggressive politician in my lifetime, 69 years old, that has declared, I am an all-in Republican. I'm all in for the rule of law. I'm all in for the U.S. Constitution. I'm all in making elections fair. There aren't many people elected or bureaucrats in Washington, D.C. Even though they may wear the GOP tag, there aren't many that prescribe to share Donald Trump's opinions about governing. And let me tell you what that means. That means we are being attacked. Conservatism in America, true conservatism, not political party, but true conservatists are being attacked by people who claim they are just like us. So not only are conservatives and conservatism under attack by the Democrat Party, they're under attack by a bunch of Republicans. That's why Joe Biden was elected. That's why, because Republicans aren't united, thanks in part to Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. There could be a switch of leadership in the U.S. Senate after the first of the year. And I got to be honest with you, if I had a vote, I've never met Mitch McConnell. I know a lot about him, and I know people in uh, Kentucky that are very close to him. If I could kick him out, I'd do it in a heartbeat. It didn't matter. It wouldn't matter to me who was replacing him because I have confidence in conservative senators to pick somebody. But Mitch McConnell, I'm sure you know his history, his personal history. His wife is the daughter of one of the biggest Chinese moguls there is. She served in an appointed position in the Trump administration. So, her dad is a communist Chinese tycoon. He's in the shipping industry. You don't think there might be some conflict going on? I don't doubt it. And I, I'm guessing I don't know anything. But I got to be honest with you. We got to stop picking our political candidates just because of who likes them. We've got to begin as Americans if we want to fix this thing. We've got to do our own digging. After somebody announces they want to run, we got to vet them ourselves and find out who they really are, not based upon what they tell us, but based solely upon what they do that can be verified. That's what we at Truth News Network and TNN Live are about. Finding those who are factual, who are committed to righteousness, honesty, the U.S. Constitution, and the rule of law. Listen. Unless we get to the point where we say those elements 
They cannot be compromised. If we're going to support you, you've got to show us that's what you believe. Otherwise, we're going to move on. Ah, luxury. The aroma is full-bodied, the flavor is decadent, the touch divine, and the drive, yes, the drive of luxury is simply infinity. Introducing the Infinity Luxury Test Tour. If you think you are familiar with luxury, you haven't driven an infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove invites you to truly become familiar with luxury and take a luxury test tour. It's like a test drive, but with more luxury. We invite you to drive luxury to luxury, not for an hour or even a day, but for an entire weekend. Your choice. Select your Infinity and motor off to a luxury weekend in Lake Tahoe or Napa Valley. And yes, all the luxury is on us. Introduce yourself to LuxuryTestTour.com and truly become familiar with luxury. Infinity of Elk Grove is literally giving you the keys to a luxury experience like none other. LuxuryTestTour.com. Drive luxury, drive infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove. Expect more. What are you doing? Should we pick him up? He has Bud Light. He has an axe. But he has Bud Light. And an axe. I'm sure there's a reason for it. Hey, buddy. What's with the axe? It's a bottle opener. Hop in. Refreshingly smooth Bud Light. Always worth it. Look, here's Bud Light. In a chainsaw. So, Miss Harris, what makes you think you're a good fit with us here at Schmidt, Starks, and Sopransky? Oh, sir, there are so many reasons. I specialized in research and theoretical studies for several years at the Southampton Institute, mm-hmm. preceded by intensive graduate studies at Syracuse. <laughs> Certainly, my skills are well suited for a position here at Schmidt, Starks, and Sopransky? Oh, thanks. A job interview and a root canal on the same day. Want to get away? Get the heck out of there with Southwest Airlines. Fly coast to coast for $99 or less by November 3rd. It was nice meeting you, sir. Yes, we'll get back to you soon. Soon. Southwest Airlines, a symbol of freedom. Call 1-800-IFLY-SWA. Well, that, that's a good weekend song. Weekend coming up. Cisco Kid was a friend of mine. That was another fun song from the uh, 70s. Maybe the, even the late 60s. I can't remember. Cisco Kid was a friend of mine. That's a deep commitment, a deep thought, right? <laughs> Somebody wrote a song that made them millions of dollars for doing that. Hey, you know who James Carville is. He's uh, He's the guy, the Democrat Party expert that every election cycle they bring him in to give his opinion and he's a radical he's he's a native louisiana guy he's a south louisianian he's a huge lsu fan and often when you see him even on camera uh even in shows interviews he's wearing an lsu cap and paraphernalia his own wife this is kind of weird he's married to mary madeline she also is a political advocate but she is hardcore conservative. She's a Republican and he's a advisor to the Democrat party. Kind of a conundrum there. But it was interesting yesterday. He was on MSNBC's The Readout. He said this, that Governor Gretchen Whitmer would be a very serious presidential candidate 
if she runs in 2024. I got to be honest with you. When he said that and I saw it, I just went, oh my gosh, what in the world is he thinking? Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer is a looney tune. I mean, she she's crazy. She's all over the political spectrum and she deplores anybody who tries to stop her from doing anything she unilaterally wants to do politically. So this all kind of fits well into James Carville's life and MSNBC and certainly the readout. Joy Reid said this, I feel the media has overplayed the importance of Ron DeSantis and underplayed the victory for Gretchen Whitmer. Now this is Joy Reid talking. Whitmer to me, she said, was the biggest single individual winner on election day because not only did she survive the kidnapping threat, she survived real threats to democracy in her state. She got reelected by a healthy margin and took over the state. Now think about what she just said. Let me tell you, remind you about Gretchen Whitmer. She is, or at least she was during the pandemic, the most totalitarianist politician in the United States. She took people in Michigan to court if they on their own decided they couldn't afford and therefore they were not going to shut down their businesses. She threatened to put them in jail and she took them to court. In fact, sometimes she didn't even do that. Somebody from her law enforcement offices at the state level went and forced them to shut down. All the while, her husband got in trouble because they obviously on a big boat on an inner lake in Michigan and he decided the family on the w- one weekend needed to go and get out on their boat. Now, this was during an egregious statewide Gretchen Whitmer total lockdown. And so he called the marina where his boat was being kept and demanded they get it ready for his family to come use it that weekend. That makes national attention, of course, but nobody held her accountable. Nobody said anything about it. Obviously, enough Michigandans didn't feel like that was a bad thing. They elected her, re-elected her. How in the heck that happened, I don't know. But anyway, Joy Reid, she revels in this about Gretchen Whitmer. So she's got James Carville on the show. And you heard what Joy said, talking about Gretchen being a great presidential candidate. And she asked James Carville what he thought about it. Here's what Carville said. First of all, for 2024, 2028, both. She's already in the talk of being a very serious presidential candidate if she runs. Carville said, I think people really understand what she's done and how tough she is. Michigan Democrats, a bunch of these people, really worked hard and did a good job as they did in Pennsylvania. Carville said, I said this morning, Josh Shapiro might have the best campaign of the whole cycle to me. They were very aggressive. They got enough votes. I think they've helped Fetterman a lot. Yes, I think you're right to point out. But I think Gretchen Whitmer is at the top of any conversation about any national figure of the Democrat Party. That is just a fact. I don't even see where Carville got that. Because it's not a fact, it's his opinion. Now, one of the most egregious things that came out in discussions on Tuesday after the election is what happened in California. I mentioned it at the beginning of the show. 
we Americans need to worry about what the passing of Proposition 1 in California means for unborn babies' lives in California. Nearly two-thirds of California voters approved a law, a ballot, but it's now signed into law. And what it does, or what it attempted to do, was preserve the right to abortion and contraception in the state constitution. Proposition 1 would allow women to receive an abortion up until the time of birth or when the baby is viable, meaning there are no limitations for when an unborn baby's life could be cut off. We have governors that won their re-elections tonight in other states that are banning books, that are banning speech, that is banning abortion. Governor Newsom said following his victory, adding, and here we are in California moving in a completely different direction. That's a deep point of pride, he said. State lawmakers introduced the measure following the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, stating that California, shall, this is in the law, shall not deny or interfere with an individual's reproductive freedom in their most intimate decisions, which includes their fundamental right to choose to have an abortion and their fundamental right to choose or refuse contraceptives. Additionally, Vermont and Michigan also approved the resolution following Tuesday's election results. In Michigan, the measure would invalidate previous laws that forbid the prosecution of anybody seeking, getting, or performing an abortion. Pro-lifers slammed the passing of the measure as extreme, calling it a threat to life. Just for a moment, just think about what would happen? A baby at nine months. Moments or even days, that's all, away from being born based upon the definition of this measure. And that baby could be killed. Infanticide. It's not abortion. It's infanticide, which is illegal in the United States, but never mind. Never mind. And then the state of Montana weighed in on this too. Montana voters rejected the Born Alive Infant Protection Act. If it had passed, it would have required medical professionals to perform life-saving medical care on babies who survived abortions or were born prematurely. It Yes, it's a pro-life measure. It would not have prevented Montana residents from getting abortions but would have required, quote, medical care be provided to infants born alive as a result of a natural or induced labor, failed abortion, or a cesarean section. It failed by 20,000 votes. 52.6% voted against it, 47.4% in favor of its passage. A health care provider performing an abortion shall take all medically appropriate and reasonable steps to preserve the life and health of a born-alive infant who is viable. If any abortion performed in a hospital results in a live birth of a viable infant, the health care provider shall provide immediate medical care to the infant. 
That was on the bill. The pro-life legislation acknowledged that an infant born alive after an attempted abortion is a legal person and would have granted them the rights to medical care after birth. If an abortion results in the live birth of an infant, the infant is a legal person for all purposes under the laws of Montana. The law also sought to penalize doctors if they failed to treat those infants as living persons and take the required necessary actions to preserve the life of a born-alive infant. The bill recognized evidence of life as an infant who breathes, has a beating heart, and definite movement of voluntary muscles. Without proper legal protection, newly born infants who have survived abortions have been denied appropriate life-saving or life-sustaining medical care and treatment and have been left to die, the bill said. As with other ballot initiatives across the nation, pro-abortion forces outspent pro-life forces to drive dishonest messages to confuse the voters. In Montana, pro-abortion forces ran TV ads, and what they did was characterized an initiative as an extreme harmful government intrusion into medical care. That's insane. It's insane. Conservatives, most conservatives feel like Life begins at inception. There are many people that disagree with that. But in this case, what we're talking about, even if that is true or not true, some point in the process, babies are alive. These people want to say they're not alive if they were aborted and lived after abortion or a a cesarean. That is the craziest thing I've ever heard of. But you know, throughout world history, there are times throughout history, even in countries that are smart, not backwards, not living in caves, where infanticide is legal. I got to be honest with you. All of this stuff, abortions, infanticide, and all of the circumstances that's around that. Those are not the reasons why the United States is still today, maybe barely, but is still today the greatest country on the planet. It's because, first of all, human rights are honored here, always have been. Everybody here is not guaranteed equality, which the far left want us to be defined as, The Constitution guarantees that everybody has the opportunity, equal opportunity for whatever you want to be, whatever you want to do. You can go try it, do it, and we hope you're successful. That's the nation in which we live. That's what was supposed to be living in everybody that's here. And now we're having conversations of criminalizing a doctor If one of these babies is born and is breathing, laying there, they're alive by legal definition, refusing to give them medical care. How could any doctor do that? But it's legal in Montana. And 20,000 Montana citizens 
voted against the law that would stop that. I don't understand. There's no reasonable, plausible explanation for it. But that's Montana, and I thought Montana was a conservative state. Maybe, maybe not. I have good friends that just moved there, and they moved there because their son and his family have been there and work. You just don't get it sometimes, and you just have to, you can't fret about it. It won't do you any good. There's nothing you can do. Pray for them, and every time it comes to mind, say a prayer. Hopefully, they'll change their minds. But as of right now, if there's a baby on the operating the delivery table, and it's breathing and it's alive, they're not going to try to keep it alive. An illegal alien that has been deported seven times from the U.S. is now facing charges that he committed at least five rapes over the course of almost 20 years. Carlos Nava, he's now 46 years old. He's from Mexico as an illegal alien. He's facing multiple sexual assault charges in Clark County, Nevada. That's Las Vegas. One of the cases dates back to 03. Prosecutors are accusing him of raping prostitutes in Las Vegas and even kidnapping one of them. After he was arrested this summer in July, Nava was given a $5,000 bail and released from jail with an ankle monitoring GPS tracker. Since 2002, he's been deported from the U.S. seven times after having crossed the southern border via Arizona and California. His most recent arrest got him deported from here to Mexico back in 2020, but he returned on an unknown date. He has a criminal record that includes battery and domestic violence. He's due back in court this month, and more charges are expected. Oh, by the way, none of this would have happened if the administration in power and all these trips across our southern border illegally, if they had enforced federal law, he would have never raped five rapes. He would have never done a single one if the government, the laws that the government had passed legally were enforced legally by the federal government people that are having the sole responsibility to protect our southern border. Why would anyone think otherwise? Why would anyone think it was okay not to enforce the law? Now, if you're trying to figure out why there's such a hard push to get amnesty for any and every illegal that comes in, let me tell you why. Farming investors or pushing Congress. Let me define what pushing Congress is. They're waving money. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey, hey. They want these farm investors, they want Congress to give them legal authority to import their own workforce and to pay those foreign employees with shares of U.S. citizenship snatched from American voters. Let me define this. Investors and lobbyists want Congress to create a new labor pipeline, plus an amnesty program for at least one million current illegal aliens. How could they do that? They want Congress to pass the Farm Workforce Modernization Act during the lame duck session, which is going to happen between now and when the new Congress takes over in January. 
Lame duck. Lobbyists are hoping the public can be distracted by a bunch of other drama that's going on and that a handful of retiring Republican senators will help them push the giveaway over the Senate's 60-vote barrier and through a packed, chaotic, lame duck session before Christmas. But there's a political problem for the Republican Party. The party can't win majorities in 2024 if they betray their voters after they ran on a migration reform agenda in 2022. Exit polls in Tuesday's midterms showed that immigration is the top issue for one in seven Republican voters. Immigration was deemed more important than crime, abortion, or gun rights and was ranked second in importance after inflation. A true farm workforce modernization effort would encourage the mechanization and the automation through subsidies, not amnesty for illegal aliens and guaranteed flow of cheap foreign laborers for years to come. That's R.J. Hoffman talking, the government relations chief at the Federation for American Immigration Reform. He slammed the stoop labor sector within agriculture, saying agricultural automation is the future of the industry. And another amnesty and massive expansion of a guest worker program is not. Yep, they're up there. Lots of big money. And they're doing it to get more. Lots of big money. Farm laborers, here's how it works. If they're legal, if they're here, they're legally the employer. They've got a report put them on the payroll, register their social security number as being an employee. They have to withhold taxes, and the employer has to match the half of the Medicare social security number that's withheld from legal employees' paychecks and send that to the government. So what these big farm-owning investment opportunities are doing is they're hiring illegals so they don't have to pay that. Therefore, they can pay these people less, get cheaper labor, and actually doing a disservice for those they're employing because they have no retirement money. They have no protection from Medicare. Follow the money. Follow the money. It's always about the money. The love of money is the root of all evil, even that. The truth. Straight. No chaser. TNN. The Truth News Network. The world tells you to wait. That waiting is polite. And good things will just come. But if I waited to be invited in, I never would have stood out. If I waited for change to happen, I never would have made a difference. So make the first move. Don't wait to be told your place. Take it. Don't wait for people to find you. Find them. In work. In love. In life. And most of all, don't wait to be given power. Because here's what they won't tell you. We already have it.
here's the latest traffic report. Looks like miles of trouble-free driving with Napa Auto Parts. Your local Napa Auto Parts dealer in Modesto has a full line of quality parts for your car or truck. Napa Auto Parts keeps America running and Modesto Auto and Truck is ready to keep your vehicle running in tip-top shape for years to come. So if you think your car or truck needs help under the hood, think of Napa Auto Parts at Modesto Auto and Truck Parts, 924 G Street in downtown Modesto, 529-8342, 529-8342. In a world where truth is in short supply, you have an abundance of it right here. TNN, the Truth News Network. Listen, our bullet point offering on every Saturday What we're going to do for you is we are going to do our best to cover what's going on in the election stuff going into the weekend. I personally feel like we'll have a good idea sometime during the weekend of who's going to have control for sure, the control of the U.S. House of Representatives, which is right now, I would say, 80% positive that it's going to be the Republicans. But I also think we'll have some information coming out of Maricopa Maricopa County, which is uh, Phoenix. And uh, we may have, we may have an idea of the U.S. Senate this weekend. I'm hoping. So we'll cover all of that if it happens. Now, we go go live with bullet points in uh, the morning, Saturday morning at about 145. We may not have the ability by then to get these numbers. So, we want you to look in at our bullet points every Saturday. Bullet points are where we capture the biggest stories of the week, many of them that you've missed, and we give them to you in bullet point format so that you can, while you're drinking that cup of coffee, you can look at the big election ideas and things that you want, that you want to get information on. Make sure you do that. Otherwise, hey, listen, have a great weekend. Really, I mean that. Whatever you're going to do this weekend, do it 100%. Invest in your families. Invest in your families with your time. And oh, by the way, check out your place of worship on Sunday. That's a great break to always take. Have a great weekend. We will see you Monday morning at Truth News Network, TNN Live. So long, everybody.